0: Doctor Who Pod Okay, well, let's do it. No. I... Uh, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us.
1: <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Pod Shock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest running science fiction television program. With Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. Fabulous! Reviews oh no! And fan mail for
2: James. Uh,
1: over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that.
2: <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? Who are you? Who are you?
1: And so, to the Seventh Doctor. After the trauma of the cancellation crisis and the suspension of the series, Doctor Who returned to our screens in 1987. Expectation was running high for the new Doctor, and the future of the Time Lord rested on the padded shoulders of children's TV star Sylvester McCoy.
3: <laughs> you flatter yourself, Doctor! You are merely
2: another
4: Time Lord! Oh, Davros, I am far more than just another Time Lord. <laughs>
5: good hunting
4: yes would have been too easy seems we must always meet again they do
1: say opposites attract but this is the end doctor you see it it's a power
2: a power from that planet it's growing within me are you frightened yet no you should be it nearly beat me such a simple brutal power just the power of tooth and claw nearly destroyed me a time lord but i won
4: i controlled that force doctor and now at last have the power to destroy you. Well, I mean, the fans are great. I mean, they're wonderful, amazing people. And they gave me such a great and joyful welcome when I arrived. Um, I thought someone else had come onto the stage when <laughs> I arrived. But it was only me, and I was so pleased. <laughs> As you said, who is Sylvester McCoy? Well, that's a secret, really. That's why I play all these other parts. You know, I can't help feeling sorry for the Rani Mel getting caught in her own devious trap. She's got nobody to blame but herself.
6: sir. But what was she doing prowling around on the Kershaw?
4: Well, I'd have thought the reason was obvious. Is it? Come on, now. No, I will not work in the dark like this. But you thrive on challenge. I'm adamant. This could be some diabolical scheme. To do what? That's the question. He
5: had a big job of getting Doctor Who, in the public's mind, back on the rails after that turbulent time.
6: He started off as a kind of
4: comedic chaplanesque type of Doctor.
6: By the time this all went out, I sadly had become
1: a very jaded, cynical Doctor Who fan and was beginning to think, hmm, the shine's going off a
6: bit, nothing to do with Sylvester, but just everything looked a bit bland. Oh really Mel, it's fascinating. And then Bonnie decided that she was going to leave.
1: I suppose it's time I should be going.
6: We were keen to move on, not from Bonnie so much as from the character that she was portraying
1: right you win
6: and of course we wanted to do the opposite of that we wanted to bring on a character who's much tougher much more street level much more streetwise I bet
4: you've never had a milkshake tipped over your head before neither Ace became a companion by working as a waitress on
5: a a planet called Ice World in a story called Dragonfire. And the Doctor bumped into her, and she hadn't got anything better to do, so off she went in the TARDIS
4: with him. Well, do you fancy a quick trip round the 12 galaxies and then back to Perryville in time for tea?
0: Hey! Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshark, episode 104. This is brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy this is louis Trapani, and with me is our uh, outstanding and always outstanding co-host uh ken deep hello hey ken how you doing all right happy
3: holidays to everybody
0: ho ho ho
3: greetings <laughs> hopefully that... this will be out in time for everybody to enjoy those greetings
0: i yeah for 2008 sure and <laughs> also joining us is, um, as always, the astute, and um, I'm running out of colourful metaphors here, but uh, Dave leaves me speechless from the UK.
6: (laughs) Thank you, Lewis. What a great introduction. Um, Merry Christmas uh, for the next couple of weeks, folks, when this goes out on iTunes, and a Happy New Year.
0: Yes, even though by the time this show goes out, it may be well into the new year. (laughs) Well, actually, okay, let's be fair. This is a live show and people listening to it live today on uh, today is the the 16th of December. So it's still the holiday spirit and people do get the live feed. Uh, It's a a bit raw, but you're welcome to get the live feed. And um, so any holiday that you're celebrating, be it in December or whenever you listen to this podcast, make it a happy one. So it's the episode in which we're examining and reviewing the Sylvester McCoy, the seventh doctor era. And the last live show, we covered Colin Baker. And similar to Colin Baker, the Seventh Doctor and Sylvester McCoy's portrayal of the Seventh Doctor sometimes gets um, a sour deal, not to any fault of his own, but perhaps because some of the stories were not as strong initially going into his uh, tenure as the Doctor. He had, um, I mean, he did have some shoes to fill as, as well as being in a situation where the the previous doctor left not on his own terms, you know, Colin Baker, and he had to come and kind of pick up the show and, um, and, and, and strive forward with it. So he did have a, uh, a, a bit of an undertaking to, to uh, in front of him. And, you know, I think Sylvester McCoy to his credit did the best that that was possible. But uh, some of those um, early stories with flying buses in space and Candyman and Whatnot, not, um, <laughs> or maybe not the most shiny best examples of Doctor Who or what Doctor Who could be. Um, I think as time went on, he, um, things were getting a little bit better and, and some of the, um, it was getting a, a, a more serious tone in the storytelling. I think when we last saw The Seventh Doctor in the Paul McGann uh, video movie, I, th- I think he was really matured and I-, and I would love to see more adventures leading up to where he was at, you know, when we last saw him right before his regeneration. Because, uh, um, you know, I-, I really thought that was kind of, t- you know, by that time the question marks were all gone. I think he could have had some really decent stories. Um, and-, and we do have some, um, we have um, the big finish audios and other stuff, but I was just right now in, um, just for this little dialogue, I'm just concentrating on the on the television series or what we saw on, on TV, on video. I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot of uh, people chiming in because um, a lot of people over the course of um, our past few live shows were looking forward to this show and wanted to have their say about the Sebas McCoy era, So I'm hoping to get um, some various opinions. Ken, what would you, um, how would you wrap up this um of Doctor Who. I mean, we already spoke about Colin Baker and the forces behind Doctor Who and, and the turmoil that was going on at that period leading up to um Sylvester McCoy becoming the doctor, you know, in in, in the last previous episodes.
3: Well, Sylvester McCoy's era, um, it can be said that the turmoil continued. Um, yes. I think that's uh that's exemplified by the extremely short seasons. Um you know the, the actual the, starting with the casting of Sylvester McCoy, you know, and the firing of of uh, Colin Baker or the release or whatever, however they want to spin it, uh, it 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 works out to the firing of Colin Baker when someone is asked to no longer do the job that they uh, are contracted to do and enjoy doing and want to do. I I guess that, that qualifies as firing. Uh, McCoy comes in. Um, I think that. Uh, uh, like you mentioned, I think he was a, a victim of circumstance. Many times he's, he's knocked um, for things that were probably out of his control. The first thing that can be said, uh, let me just clear the air on this. We we always say, um, when, when asked what our favorite doctor is, and we always say whichever one we're watching at the time. And I have to say, to be honest, I think the only time that I don't feel that way is when I watch Sylvester McCoy stories. I feel that... Uh, I yeah, feel but, that, it, but that is that another doctor is out there that I'm waiting to watch?
0: But is that because there's a, a, of the story, or or is that because of the seventh doctor himself? I, As for me, I always felt it's it's really the story. I mean, if I I felt if if the story was, he had, if he was enveloped in a in a decent story that made sense that was um, that was Doctor Who, then I I think I could. Um, I, I think the reason why I have like, sometimes a negative vibe with the Seventh Doctor is not because of the Seventh Doctor, but just because his error, were a bit a bit disappointing.
3: Okay, well, let me, let me start by, by saying that uh, Sylvester McCoy, the person, uh, is probably one of the most enthusiastic, um, the, one mm-hmm. of the best ambassadors for Doctor Who that you ever would wish to have. Uh, he came in right off the bat at 1,000 miles an hour, uh, makes tons of personal appearances, uh, is always gracious, always full of energy, always ready to go, uh, and and supported the show long after uh, the show had been dead and buried in 89, uh, m- more so than, than any actor should be expected to do. You know, when it, when it, sometimes when a show gets canceled, actors perhaps will rally around the show and they'll do a few appearances for it or go on a talk show and say, hey, you know, it really stunk that You know, the show got canceled. And you might see that last for, uh, you know, a month or a couple months. Sylvester McCoy did it right up until the Paul McGann movie some seven years later. He was always a a gracious ambassador for the show, um, was always making the pitch that Doctor Who would come back and that he and Sophie Eldred would be ready to go the minute it did. And and for a long time, he held the torch. Uh, So that being said, I have an enormous amount of Respect and love for him as the doctor, um, but I think that he matured into the part. Uh, again, I I'm, this is the hindsight of the big finish uh, audios and some of the novelizations of his doctor and of the Paul McGann movie, the Fox movie in '96. I think that his first season, he came in all gung ho. He he felt he probably felt that. And rightfully so, you had to bring a lot of energy and he was trying to... If you remember, he played the spoons and he did a lot of little like, word mm-hmm. play yeah. and flipping his hat and stuff. And then he stopped that. And it actually, that's where I think I, he won me over was when he went for a more serious tone to the Doctor. And that was probably in his final season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, thought, I think we see a, a glimpse of the more serious side in the McGann movie where he's sort of at the end of his regeneration and he's mm-hmm. aging a bit and he's, you know, kind of winding down. I liked that doctor more. Yeah. Um, I think that, that probably would have suited him a little bit better because I'm trying to, I'll try to find the most political, politically correct way of saying this. but so I just don't feel that he held the strength of the doctor, the way other actors had played him where, um, there was this, this great sense of, like, Dave played in the, in the opening uh, with the whole, oh, I'm far more than a Time Lord. I think any other of the Doctor actors delivers that line, and it's got such, it'll ha- it would have such gravity. I don't, I'm not sold on it, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that coupled with the, the overly ambitious stories, and that's exactly what they are. They're overly ambitious. They're not bad stories. They have very talented writers. Um, I, I once again victims of circumstance. They write, they wrote some uh, some incredibly uh, imaginative stories uh, with some great scope, and then all of a sudden the budget showed up, and trims and compromises were starting to be made. Where Doctor Who succeeded in the past was that they played. To the budget, they they uh, they embraced it. Okay, we only have a certain amount. Well, what? How can we maximize this simple thing? If McCoy's era has one knock, it's that it tries to continue to be
5: ambitious
3: and not stop and say we don't have. There's no way we can pull this off. It's just not. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I think they tried, and it's a very noble thing to try. I definitely think you you see the. Um, the show, I think the show exemplifies the frustration of John Nathan Turner at that point, wanting mm-hmm. to leave, being yeah. forced to stay. And <sighs> I can't read the man's heart, but maybe he just stopped caring. You know, uh, I don't think that there, when I say stop caring, that it was like, I hate Doctor Who, let's ruin it. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a, a point where a producer doesn't have the passion to to fight anymore to to mm-hmm. say you know what sure. no we're gonna get this done a certain way we have a vision here i think he threw his hands up and said okay if that's the way you want it that's the way we'll do it
0: yeah i i, I agree i think he got very frustrated towards the end obviously coming off the heels of what just happened with um colin baker and and his plans on moving on and you know he was forced to stay his other projects were were canceled and um you know so he tried to i think you know do the best that he could, but he wasn't his, I think his heart was no longer as um, in it as it was perhaps, or, um, or he was just, the frustrations just got the better of him. Uh, again, you know, we, anybody to interview right now. So
3: anybody who's worked at a difficult job uh, will, will relate to frustrations that uh, sometimes circumstances are out of your control. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel strongly about your career or what you do. But then there's sometimes where you're just like, boy, I just wish this guy would get it finally. And I think that's what he was a victim of. Yeah. And he he knew what he could do with the show. He knew he saw the heights of success with Doctor Who. So to see it suffer the way it was, to see it uh, fall victim to one man's uh, animosity and personal vendetta, one man, one. Man, I'm being very specific about that Because this was not a conspiracy It wasn't about ratings I mean, the thing about the ratings Was so Asinine Yeah As to be unbelievable Yes, the ratings for Doctor Who fell Oh yeah, they only had 5 or 6 million viewers Yeah, we could probably do much better than that I don't get it What part of that number is bad we're seeing numbers on the current show that are uh, – okay, the, the current show came out to some astounding numbers. But there were a few spots over the, the last couple of years where, we saw, where the show took a hit, and it was comparable to what we saw in the McCoy era. They're not canceling this show. Yeah. So the, the, the logic behind what was being said was faulty yeah nobody's interested in Doctor Who anymore uh yeah, that was certainly true. you know history's proven that to be correct and well, think, uh
0: you know the the ratings game i think the i mean I think you know the the powers that be or that one person was you know sabotaging the show in such a sense that the ratings would drop, you know, but only you know when you have characters like the candyman and and just absurd things going on. You're going to lose the die-hard fans, the long-time fans, and the new people just tuning in is going to think the show's silly. And so, of course, you're going to drop off some numbers. And, you know, I, I think before he started meddling with the show, I think the numbers were strong and were staying strong. And, of course, you're always going to have fluctuations, but... Um, especially with The New Doctor when Colin Baker was there, but he wasn't given enough time. I, after his first year, the show went into hiatus for uh, 16 months or 18 months, whatever well, it was. Yeah, he,
3: and he was deliberately meddling with the show for yeah. for uh, several reasons. One, he didn't like it. He thought it was silly. And all right, that's his opinion, but you know what? If, if millions of people enjoy the show, hey, there's plenty of shows on television I don't like, but if I became a network exec- executive, I wouldn't cancel, cancel them if they were profitable if they were being run a certain way and people were enjoying them and know? if they were
0: a british institution <laughs> uh, yeah
3: yeah i i mean would you if, i mean if some, renewed... of, some of the daytime
0: soap operas i don't care for but i would you know they have been there for, you know for for decades you
3: know yeah so these I, I blame very uh very single-handedly michael grade and he should suffer uh, all the all the the, the the torment that we can dole at him, whether it be on blogs, calling him out on things and calling him a hypocrite and all the crappy press that the man gets. He should get everything he deserves. He's really just a negative person. He offers nothing positive in the television industry. His decisions have always been lousy. Uh, he canceled a show called Tripods uh, around the same time. It was a trilogy of books. They made two books. And they canceled it when the show would have naturally canceled itself one year later.
0: It would come to a natural uh, conclusion a kind of after a Series 3, yes. The, table. Mm-hmm. The, the, the,
3: the man brought nothing positive, and uh, it was, it was, it's so obvious in Britain that, <laughs> that they almost required an act of parliament to stop him from meddling in the current show. Yeah. And I'm glad he's on a rival network, because now I'm sure the Beeb feels that there's no threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering how long it's gonna take him to go work for Fox.
0: <laughs> well, very good, Dave. I I'm very good, Ken. I was just about to get to Dave. Uh so Dave, you were there from the beginning to the end of the original classic series run. Um, what's your take on the Sylvester McCoy era? Well,
4: he's
6: not one of my favorites, I have to admit, but uh just before I talk about that, and you, and you where Ken's bio was coming from, as soon as he mentioned the word tripods, But that's another story. <laughs> um, no, um, I mean, I've been very good today. As preparation for this podcast, I've been watching uh, Time and the Rani. Uh, there's my dedication right there on a the plate. <laughs> um, and I must admit, watching it again, it it was a little bit like a panto at the beginning, like like Ken says, he... He plays the spoons, he, he rushes at it so headlong as though, uh, you know, if I move about out the stage and don't stop talking, they might not notice. And it, it obviously, um, where in previous podcasts we've talked about how easily in some ways, uh, say, David Tennant has slipped into the role, um, the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, uh, did take his time. Um, whether he had a, an inferiority complex or whatever uh, it it, it took a while for him to settle down and of course um he didn't exactly have the 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 supporting cast that some of the other doctors have had because he he started out with uh, mel as his companion and i think the theme i would like to strike for for this particular doctor is um it was really we had some uh some episodes i would i certainly wouldn't show to a, a new fan and say you know this is what Doctor Who can do. And yet some of the um, later ones, uh, and I suppose if we're going to start talking about episodes, um, it it, it was towards the, the, from, I suppose, Silver Nemesis onwards uh, that some of the show really got going. But um, uh, the thing is, of course, um, in the new series, like David Tennant, all right, he had to compare himself to uh, Christopher Eccleston. And that's a pretty hard act to stand up to. But for a lot of the new fans, that was the only comparison that could be made. I mean, Sylvester was there, the seventh Doctor, uh, and he had an awful lot of um, good actors to come um, to be stood with. And I mean, when we talked about Peter Davidson, I mean, he'd been in quite a lot of other series. He was used to television performance, and uh, he was... um, was more comfortable in the role but he certainly um, was able to make it his own. Now having said all that, watching the first one uh, I did quite like one or two of the little uh, prompts like the way he's searching for his costume and, and he reprises at least uh, four of the Doctor's outfits uh, the cricketing one and uh, Tom Baker's outfit and so on so you've got to give it credit to the lad he's, uh, I mean I know it's the script writers who write it but he was prepared to make himself look a little bit foolish. And, and I suppose that's the one time that the doctor can get away with it. Because it was a regeneration, we can say, well, is this a doctor who's up for the job, or is it just a difficult transition and, and, and we make allowances? And I think that's what I did. Um, but it, but it, it was sometimes an act of lo- loyalty to keep watching some of the series now, luckily for me, um, I think Dr. Sylvester McCoy was mainly acting eight to '79, and uh, well, just after that, um, we had the, uh, the explosion of uh, satellite channels in this country in the UK, uh, probably behind you in America and other places in the world. Um, but one of the channels that started up was called UK. Gold. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, one of the things that they did was uh, they got Doctor Who back on the air. And it was about that time uh, my son was born uh, in uh, 81. So when they started, uh, you know, when they got through the other doctors and they got up to Sylvester McCoy's doctor, we were coming to about the end of 1994. So he was about 13 or 14. So for him, um, Sylvester McCoy was his doctor. And watching it, with I mean, I'm a great fan and I watch the thing anyway, but having your son to watch it with you, it, I must admit that helped regenerate my interest in it and, and, and stick with it. And, and uh, I think yeah, he said, well, you know, this refers back to this and he last met that um, um, uh, villain so on. And there's an old rivalry here. and Of course, I had a better memory then, so I was to do it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, um, and it was a pretty... I mean, uh, one of the few books that I've read of Doctor Who, the human nature one, the one that was done as the David Tennant story with uh, human nature and family and blood. And I think, uh, I think I'm right in saying so, that it was the seventh Doctor that was written for. And you could actually imagine him being that um, weary chap that... Um, that Ken mentioned and, and could go towards something like that. So uh, really a of extremes. And of course, let's pick up some high points. All right, he had Mel as a companion and I didn't really take to her at all. She was a sort of Catherine Tate, Kate, Kate, Catherine Tate type companion to me. Not very easy on the ears. But then, of course, he had Ace join and there's that little clip at the beginning where she meets in Dragonfire. And they really did have a good chemistry. I mean, yeah. that was probably the saving grace of these two. Uh, the two Ace really was a full, she was as strong as Rose was uh, to Christopher Eccleston. She was, she really, um, I'm not saying she saved the show because by that time of course Sylvester McCoy was bedding down into the part, and some of the stories were getting quite good Um, uh, I quite like some of the sort of um, more uh, not ghost like in particular but like the Curse of Fenric Um, I thought that was Mm -hmm. excellent and uh, talking about uh, Sylvester as a character I've listened to one or two of his little chats and um, he's very unassuming and he's very I suppose grateful for the (laughs) part. a little uh, nice um, documentary or something he was talking about. And uh, he was so proud that he actually got to be a hero once because apparently on one of the sets when um, Ace was trapped in this uh, um, yes, yeah, war container, about. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, he actually realized that something was wrong and he alerted the rest of the crew. And um, I mean... It was a really lovely story. I mean, it was obviously lovely. It was obviously lovely for uh, the fact that, that you know the mishap was averted. Yeah, but the, he was really—he was more pleased with he was for, more pleased with that. For those that aren't familiar
0: with the story, that she was Ace was in a tank, filling up with water, and and the glass was about to shatter, if I remember correctly, and and I don't think anyone else noticed that except for Sylvester McCoy, and they had to get out of there really quickly and. Yeah,
6: it was bulging, wasn't it, the glass? And he knew yeah. that if it suddenly split, it would... Uh, I mean, you should, obviously, you can't see shards of glass in water. She could have been uh, uh, naturally uh, uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh. So, but he was... I mean, that was probably his proudest moment. And there's the other one, and I think you'll probably be better than me on this. Is it the uh, the circus one where... Is walking away and there's an explosion. Mm-hmm. And he carried that off rather well. Yeah, I mean, there must have been cinders on the back of his costume as he walked away from that. Um, yeah. um, so, yes, he, he brought something different to the doctor, and that's what we should expect and want from the uh, uh, actors coming to the part. We don't want them really to go over new ground. He did take his time getting to it. He had perhaps the poorest start of any except um of course Colin Baker trying to strangle uh, um, uh, uh Crocket perry i mean that's about the worst thing he can get off but i mean after that um really uh, the seventh made a bit of a dog's dinner of it to start and um I can't rate him as highly as some of the others but um for the For the gusto he gave to the part for the fact that he he, he did um, begin to bring something into it and and this idea that a started calling in the professor and um I mean I even quite like survival, though some people think it, it was a bit of a dog's dinner at one I quite like the the idea of it and um, oh, I do know that um the master in that one that was one of his favorite performances where he felt as though he could tone down a little on his maniacal laughing and so on um so all in all um a commendable effort rather than a resounding success i would say but but i think this this podcast could be a great one Lewis, because i think we're going to get the greatest variety of um of, of thoughts from people on this one it's not going to be a, you know as all being in a fan club all standing in the line to because i think uh, I think that there'll be as many different opinions as there are people uh, who hopefully soon will be waiting in the queue to speak. Yeah,
0: if um and to that point please uh we want to hear what you have to say, please give us a call at 724-444-7444. The TalkCast ID number is 23358. Once again, um, that's 724-444-7444. And um, re- put yourself in the queue and if you are um, We encourage you to become a um, get an account with TalkShoe because then you can see the chat and you can enter the queue and we know you want to be heard and uh, we can get you on the show. Dave, you brought up a good point about uh, Ace and the Doctor's um, chemistry. I think they did work w- very well together, and I think Sophie Aldred and Sylvester Macquarie had a good relationship off-screen as well, and, and um, in many interviews and how they talked about each other, it's a mutual respect and admiration they have for each other, and I think that comes across on-screen too, and um, I think that's one of the um, big pros um, in that era was their relationship and how those two interacted and got along um very well together as a team um you you also mentioned that that his doctor brought many different things to the part that other doctors had um maybe one of the most obvious is um his accent he had a um a northern scottish accent that um none of the previous doctors really had something different at least and do you think that had any play whatsoever as far as people's reception of him
6: well i'm sure it it was probably a little bit difficult for for uh, non british people to follow i mean indeed uh, listening to that very first show again today i mean uh, it, it's you really got to concentrate and um he, he did he did slow down and again i think this was as ken said his growing confidence in the part he felt as though um, he, he could he could um, take up his space a little bit better. He didn't feel as though he had to be agitated and running about. He could just stand there. He could uh, uh, lift his um, his umbrella up to his chin and rub his chin, and um, uh, perhaps um, take a leaf out of one or two of the other ones. I think he drew quite heavily on the first two doctors, probably more so than any of the other uh, the, the other doctors have since then. And of course, um, if I can just. What you said about Ace, she really um, has enabled people like Rose um, uh, to actually have that sort of gutsy, ballsy character. And and go, I mean, um, the, the the very first time she was attacking Daleks um, you know, with a a, a baseball bat and a, a nitro nine, and a should I blow it up, Professor? You know, I mean, you know, and he's he's having to hold her back. Uh, it gave quite a nice dynamic, and um, probably, although I would say is uh, as I say not not high on my list, that particular pairing of dot and ace would rate um, quite highly in my books. I think as a uh, as um, for the way that they carried the story.
0: Yeah, we haven't had a companion like Ace, uh, uh, at least a female companion, since uh, with that tenacity since uh, probably. Um... Leela, you know, Leela was very aggressive and out there and, and, you know, kind of broke the boundaries of, um, you know, what's supposed to be what what society terms is proper for, you know, a woman to act on whatever. And um, but, you know, you know, Ace pulled punches and, you know, she just um, (laughs) well wielded a bat and um, didn't, you know, blink an eye.
6: And she and Lewis, she was fiercely loyal, wasn't she? I mean, yes. um, like Leela would protect the Doctors back, as you as you said, the Tom Baker Fourth Doctor, um, Ace was fiercely loyal to uh, Sylvester. Well, to the to the Seventh Doctor.
0: Yes, and yeah.
6: and that probably, as you said, if they had a a good strong working relationship and were good friends, offset that obviously carried over well onto the screen and was there for people to see.
0: Yeah, I thought it did. I, I thought it was very evident watching, you know, on screen and off screen that they had a, a true bond, a good relationship. And, you know, I, I think it, it it carried over from one to the other. Um, we're going to we have um, Michael from the Tin Dog podcast, and we're going to um, see what he has to say. All right. Hey there.
2: Hello. Hi. Can you hear me?
0: Welcome back on board. Good to have you back on the show. Thanks. Wasn't completely sure that my
2: mic was working tonight, so I'm glad I'm back.
0: And, well, I believe it is working unless you're using telepathy to speak to me, which could be the case. <laughs> but if others it are could, hearing you... <laughs> but I'm, I'm in a large lead-lined room, so it's fine.
2: Uh, right. The Seventh Doctor, I must admit, um, last week I was out at a, a works Christmas, or whenever you're listening to this podcast, seasonal bash, and mm-hmm. uh, somebody asked me what my favorite Doctor was, and um, I sort of pondered for a bit, and then I um, realised, rather I surprised myself more than anything else by saying, you know, I've got a really soft spot for Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, and of course there was a big scratched needle, and the room went completely silent, and people (laughs) stared at me and avoided me for the rest of the evening, but it is true, I do have a very soft spot for Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. Admittedly, a lot of that comes from um, a love I had at the time of the Virgin novelisations. Once the series Mm -hmm. had finished, um, I was working in a bookstore at the time, and every month they would come out, and I ended up with a complete set. I was very, very fond of them. So my Seventh Doctor experience doesn't always have Sylvester McCoy in there. It's just in my head. He's playing the part. So perhaps the acting was down to just the writing for a long time. And, and And of course, the... um, Sorry, go
0: on. No, no, I was just going to, because you had mentioned the Virgin books, and if um, if I recall correctly, um, that's where Paul Cornell's story, Human Nature, first came about, was um, a Sylvester McCoy, well, it was a Seventh Doctor story. Wasn't that the Virgin book line?
2: It certainly was, yes, yeah. um, and it's very, very well written. It's, um, that was, like, one of the most acclaimed writers. stories
0: this past series, For you know, I'm, I'm saying this for those that are new to Doctor Who and maybe are, aren't familiar with past Doctors, um, that this story, Human Nature and Family of Blood, that uh, David Tennant, um, you know, brought to life with, with um, you know, the, the Tenth Doctor with Martha Jones, originally had its um, outing first with the Seventh Doctor in in, in the novel um, Human Nature.
2: Indeed, and I believe the companion in that book is um, Beneath Summerfield as well. Mm. So you end up with a completely different... Uh, take on the whole companion um, end of things as well, and she's um, uh, for me, she's a lot more similar to Martha um, than she is to say Ace, uh, which mm-hmm. is very nice. But I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything on that. But again, like the last few Doctors, we've re-examined them through the big finishes. But you do have to remember that we had twelve remarkably interesting stories that were on TV in the first place with him. Now. For me it wasn't until Dragonfire that really McCoy sort of hit the ground running but we had to remember that in England we'd uh, we'd moved Doctor Who from its Saturday evening slot to a mid midweek sh- slot right up against the um, most popular soap at the time and that really did worry a lot of people because at the time in, in England a lot of people just had one TV in the house and if you're a kid in the house and your mother wants to watch the soap, things are going to have a few arguments and you may lose. So you'll lose the thread of a show and you'll lose what's going on. So uh, at the time it wasn't seen as a great thing to happen as well. And then we watched Time and the Rani and some people who were who had missed it were kind of the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was a bit of a mishmash of a whole story but I don't know. First, story out, first stories out are always a bit rocky, to say the least. Yeah. And I was I was thinking back because obviously everyone knows of my love for Bonnie Langford, and uh, and it's it's well documented. Um, but I did realise <laughs> the other day that she's only in sort of five or six stories. She she's left such a big scar for being around for such a short period of time. I mean, she's only in sort of one. One Colin Baker story and, and four, um, four McCoy stories, uh, but the impact that she made on fandom was was so appalling <laughs> that we still sort of worry about having any ginger companions, not thinking about the new season at all, um, turning up and ruining things. Not that I'm worried. No, 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 Catherine, <laughs> leave it alone. Uh,
7: Don't I get Dave cannot started, for the yeah. life of me
2: remember Delta and the Bannerman. Um and I don't know why it worries me that I can't remember it but it was Dragonfire where the series finally kicked in uh, Bonnie Langford's leaving speech for me was very good um, and it wasn't just because she was leaving it showed a side of the Doctor that you'd just not quite experienced before and for me it was the beginnings of that whole dark Doctor thing and then the new season started it's pre-title sequence. It's remembrance of the Daleks. I mean, you've got a Dalek going upstairs for the first time. Oh, uh, how excited was I! <laughs> I'm sure I did the little Dalek dance. But it was it was such a nice thing. I know that it was a practical effect, and that the um, the Dalek just sort of was lifted up on an enormous platform using lots of sort of burly stage crew. Uh, which I know for some Doctor Who fans would be a marvellous thing to watch as well, but let's not go there right now. Uh, well, it was just so great to see Daleks fly up the stairs so you could turn to people and go, well, you know, they did fly. You, you do know how they get upstairs. And then you realise that would make you sound like an even bigger anorak than everyone already thought you were. So we let that one go. On the subject of large burly men, we've got the Happiness Patrol uh, following um, remembrance of the Daleks. Now... I've read a lot of different reviews and thoughts on the Happiness Patrol. Um, a few people say that it's, it's one of the first doctors to have a, a huge, very large gay subtext, with it being sort of very political, and it's a, it's a bit both. It's, but of course, most people remember it just for the Candyman. But, but the other subtexts um, were very... Um, if you know what you're looking for, with that like, like the mentioning of the beard in, in the, uh, the Time, um, the time, time crash, crash episode a few weeks ago, um, you 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 do start going. Oh yeah, that's there. Oh, the TARDIS gets painted pink, and that woman's quite clearly Mrs. Thatcher. And there's a lot of other subtext. So, although Doctor Who doesn't always do you know metaphor particularly well, um, I would suggest ha- giving Happiness Patrol another look because by this point, as a fan, you're going, you know, this isn't quite the series I used to remember, but it is good. And then the Cybermen and the Nazis and loads of other people turn up in Silver Nemesis and you're sort of sitting there going, what's going on here? Because I, I was never completely sure why the Nazis were in Silver Nemesis. But but anyway, the Doctor had a pocket watch and that always gets my vote. <laughs> and then, of course, there's The Greatest Show in the Galaxy to finish off the, the second McCoy season. Now, for me, Greatest Show in the Galaxy, I didn't get when I was watching it the first time. That whole... It's meant to be a commentary on Doctor Who itself. Similarly, that Trial of the Time Lord was a commentary on the series. Um, This is like fandom looking in on itself, watching itself, saying it's not as good as it used to be. And that's a very dangerous road to walk down because people start going, yeah, you're right, it's not as good as it used to be. And you start going, no, no, stop it. But then, for me, the next four stories are just The best McCoy ever. I mean, you've got Battlefield, Ghostlight, Curse of Fenric, and Survival. They are stories that I would tell people to start with. They're so good. They're the nearest to modern... Well, actually, they're not even near to modern Doctor Who. They're very, very different. Uh, How good is Ghostlight? Admittedly, how confusing is Ghostlight? Try explaining that to anyone. They may start whimpering. but, But Battlefield the Doctor turns into Merlin at some point by the time survival kicked in you were going, yeah I don't care about that I don't care the series isn't going to be there because one day someone will make the episodes where he's Merlin and I'll watch that, it'll be fantastic and then you start realising that nobody's going to make it at all for seven years and you start having a bit of a cry again but, but oh, I'm sorry I can't tell you how much I love Battlefield, it's just great Curse of Fenric you've got vampires, vampires and Doctor Who in Northumberland and as you can probably guess from my accent, that's where I'm from anyway. It was lovely. Ah I loved that last season. And then after that, McCoy came back for the regeneration sequence, which for me was his greatest performance. Now I know he doesn't really say much in the eighth Doctor movie, but he does have that air of doctorness. Oh definitely that we'd come to learn from the, the Virgin novels that filled in the gap really well. And and he hasn't lost it. And you can understand why he's changed the design of the TARDIS and you know that some of the adventures you've read about probably maybe happened and were definitely in mind. I, I think that McCoy performance is the best bit of the Eighth Doctor's time for me. Um, and that's kind of it really, that's all I've kind of got to say apart from the fact that I was very worried when I heard McCoy got the job and I was worried for no reason because I'd seen him in kids' shows like Jigsaw, which thankfully the American audience will never have seen, and only people of a certain age will be familiar with. And he was on Tizwas, which I was never fond of, which is not always a good thing, because everyone goes, yeah, I love Tizwas, I hated Swap Shop. It was too messy, it just wasn't my cup of tea at all. I've lost most American listeners, and, you know, that's a good thing when it comes to Tizwas, leave (laughs) it there.
6: Well, you know that, um, of course, Ace uh, came from uh, the same sort of background, didn't she? Was she on Giaconoria uh, or whatever it was? She, oh, ca- she I, came from I children's she, television.
2: Yes, yes, I think you would right. Sophie uh, She did um, Melvin and Maureen's Music Emporium, I believe, after she'd done Doctor Who as well. So she went back to her roots. And she and can as well. As a student, I spent far too much time watching kids' TV. Uh, yeah, yeah, she can. She can. Um, before I move on completely, I, um, I just want to say that the the big Finnish ones, he's done quite a few, and I made a sort of small list of ones to recommend. But I thought, with the news that Christmas is coming, or indeed when you're listening to this, Christmas may have been, and there may or may not be a character called Astrid, who may or may not prove to be something else, that the story unregenerates. With McCoy is well worth looking into because that may or may not contain people of the same nature. Sorry, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but Unregenerate's actually quite a good story anyway. And uh, looking at my small list, Bonnie Langford actually appears in some of my uh, big finish recommendations. Wow. <laughs> Things like Flip Flop. Flip Flop's a very interesting story, nice bit of experimental narrative because you've got two discs uh, and they're not parts one, two. 3 and 4, they're they're black and white, and you can listen to the story in any order, because like a Back to the Future plot, the end of story A um, brings about the end of story B, and the end of story B brings about the end of story A, so they're both well worth listening to and it's very, very, very interesting. Uh, If you want a bit of a scare, Night Thoughts I would definitely recommend, an absolutely terrifying thing. Um, if you're sitting alone in the dark listening to it on your iPod. Yes, I'm not recommending that Doctor Who fans sit alone a lot, but, you know, there was a time when we were sort of social outcasts, and now we're very popular, he keeps telling himself. And finally would be one of his first, which would be Shadow of the Scourge, and that's one of the ones with Bernice Summerfield in. Um, if you want to experience what she's like and give her a taster rather than embrace the Beneath Some Field range straight off, why do I sound like an advert for Big Finish? Shall I shut up now?
0: Well, I, I think so. I, I do appreciate all the recommendations. Um, it's great that people have more material to go back to and, and listen to and watch. And uh, Unfortunately, Sylvester McCoy, The Seventh Doctor, only has, a, a, at least here in the U.S., only a handful of a DVD episodes released. I um I think before survival came out, it was just like three stories. And um, I think survival makes the fourth story on DVD that's um, available out of his whole um, tenure as a doctor. Um, hopefully that, you know, more will be coming out and people have, uh, well, hopefully all the stories of doctor who will be coming out on DVD um, in my lifetime. <laughs> I, I'm still <laughs> scratching my head over ghost light though. I, I, I realized it was a bigger story that was chopped down to three episodes and I, it's I, I still come away just scratching my head with that one
2: but um, I, know, I know it's got a lot to do with evolution and assassinating the queen victoria and a host of other things but like you see it really could do with an extra episode
0: yeah i i think it suffered from um being encapsulated into three episodes i i mean i never read um i forget the author who written it but um suppose i think the book is a lot better i hadn't read it you know, I think he, or the original script, at least. Well, we have. Um, I want to thank you, Michael, um, for all, for everything. There no was, problem. A wealth of material there that we ha- we can digest and uh, appreciate well, you sharing that with us. And
2: uh, uh, anytime.
0: And um, and you know, and I do agree with. Um, I think by the time we got to see the the Paul McGann movie, Sylvester McCoy was very comfortable. You know, in the doctor's shoes and I really felt that and I wanted to see more of that seventh doctor and um, you know it's a shame that that you know <laughs> it was his last 30 minutes of the, of the doctor not even you know so uh,
2: well thanks for having me all right, enjoy the you. rest of
0: the show Ciao. thank you now we're going to go to um, Emily from Ohio <coughs> hi Emily
4: Hi, well, that's a tough act to follow from Michael. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's always I, the I case. Really, it's not just you. We always have that problem. I, <laughs> but, but please tell us what you, thought, what you think of uh, The Seventh Doctor.
4: Well, I kind of, thinking of a Ginger Companion, I think it would be kind of fun to have an actual, you know, ginger hair doctor, maybe with a beard. You know, that's my hopes for The Thirteenth Doctor someday. Um, maybe James I, I Norton can fill the bill. <laughs> Ooh, that's great! Um, and I kind of think that McCoy, um, I think in, in, maybe in a lot of cases, maybe he's, uh, um, he's settling down, you know, being less crazy kind of mirrors uh, when Tenet acted like crazy. However, I kind of preferred Tenet acting crazy as compared to Sylvester when, in my opinion, he was a lot better uh, calmed down. And I think a lot of his best stories are actually in The Big Finish and even in novels such as uh, Human Nature. Yeah, which is a book that I really want to read. Um, and uh, I was just wondering what you guys thought of his um, last scenes when he um, died and with the doctors picking out his heart at the end of the uh, original classic series. Uh,
0: right before you are talking about, um, I'm sorry, um, are you talking about survival or are you talking about the Paul McCann story?
4: Um, I'm talking about the um, survival, sorry.
0: Uh,
6: Dave, any thoughts there? Well, 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 as far as I remember survival, it ends up with a lovely little bit of poetry where he and Ace walk off into the sunset. Let's talk about seas and, and funny oceans and things. And uh, it's got a lovely ending to that. I mean, uh, I've often heard that quoted, but uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't think
0: of the line. It's, how... it's, he, there it's is a beautiful. line. Um, and... Is that the line where? Is that the one where he's
4: like, um, "Have no regrets"? Isn't this the same thing William Hamilton says to Susan when he she leaves? And well, um, William Hartnell.
0: Leaving? It's it's similar to that, but it, yeah, it, somewhere it was... the tea is getting
6: cold. Yeah. What's <laughs> it called? Uh, and and there, there, and you it's basically oh, walking wait. off into the sunset, Emily. I think I remember. Uh, that, it. A... Is it the one
4: where? Yeah. Is it the one where he's like, "Someday I will come back. Yes, I shall come back."
6: That's there should be... no,
4: no. Oh, I thought Sylvester said that
6: too, I'm sorry. But it alludes to that in, in, in a nice uh, roundabout way. You could argue that it, it alludes to that because they are going off on more adventures. And, and the feeling at the end of it is that, uh, you know, the doctor's not stopped having adventures. It's just that we, we're not following him for a while and that uh, there are things for them to do, places, a little bit like I the
0: th- Mad Hatter's. D- Dave, I found the quote. Here it is. Um, well th- this is the Doctor. There are there are worlds out there where the sky is burning and the seas asleep and the rivers and the rivers dream. People made of smoke and cities of song. Somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. Somewhere somewhere else, the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We got work to do. Okay, yeah, I didn't do it. in it His absolutely accent, but... yeah. It's better than Doogie 448 said now with feeling lewis <laughs> yeah i just read that cold so <laughs> this is a live show i didn't have any time to come prepare <laughs> next <laughs> well, thank you.
6: we'll call you don't call us uh,
0: yes <laughs> all righty so um well thank you so much emily um did you have anything else that you wanted to comment on
4: I liked his outfit—the tie with the was awesome. That's all I wanted to say.
0: What was that? I'm sorry.
4: Oh, um, his white suit—he was, was my favorite um costume of all the Doctors. Uh,
0: the Seventh Doctor's. The white so, suit.
6: Right. Is- it It did suit him. I mean, good heavens, after Colin Baker, what do you expect? <laughs> oh, you just talking
0: about this. Okay, I thought it was a particular outfit that the Seventh Doctor. Oh, no. It, it's just his general ensemble. It, it's just the question marks got a little bit, you know, over, you know, with the umbrella and the sweater and all that. But um, I, I thought, uh, I mean, I, I think it was, um, yeah, you, you're always going to have contrast to the previous Doctor, and, and you needed to have something contrasting with, um, you know, the Sixth Doctor's most colorful outfit. So, um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's um, it's nice, and and I thought um, it carried over in the movie as well, you know, just minus the question marks. All right. Well, we're gonna go to um, I, memory serves. I believe it's Jay, um, also known as um, Fairport. Thanks again, Emily. Thanks. Did I get did I did I remember that correctly? Yes. Yes. Jay, Fairport. Any choose as you
5: will. and I'll. <laughs> Answer to any, so it's all good. Um, good. When I speak of the Seventh Doctor, I always talk of the teaming of McCoy and Aldrin. You see, the Doctor and Ace, as far as I'm concerned, um, are probably my favorite Doctor companion coupling next to the second Doctor and Jamie, Troughton and Fraser Hines. Mm
7: -hmm.
5: In fact, like many fans, I, I guess I rarely think about the McCoy era prior to the introduction of Ace and Dragonfire, and that's no mark personally against Bonnie Langford. I don't have the intense white heat hatred for her characters, as many frothing fans might hold deep in their two hearts. But I personally feel as if McCoy just didn't get a hold of the character until he teamed up with Eldred. Um, even despite the darker tone and off-kilter plot issues found in the Seventh Doctor stories, there was always a sense of, of fun and playfulness when those two actors shared screen time and that's pretty much what I adore about that doctors, you know, um, those, I guess the last few years of the series and, you know, speaking of darker, darker tones and all things, Mark Platt, um, I'm always concerned when I hear any actor or writer connected with who say that they wish to explore the doctors, darker, more mysterious side. And we all know that these words were, echoed by both Colin Baker and McCoy early on, but as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's a dreadful mistake to make those elements of the Doctor's personality so transparent. Uh, the, the best directors always portrayed the character as an, an extension, a, a glorified version of themselves, of, of their own personality. You just have to look at a John Pertree or, or, or Tom Baker performance to, to get a sense of what I'm saying. Uh, even with great character actors like Patrick Troughton or Christopher Eccleston, I, I mean, you still feel that there's some strong sense of their own personality was shining through. I mean, Troughton was a well-known mischief maker and, and fun seeker on set, and that had always come across clearly in his performance. So when it comes to McCoy, there was always this feeling like Sophie Aldred just brought out the best in him. You could almost him drop the whole I'm the otherworldly doctor with mysterious ways persona and just have fun with the role when she was on screen with him I, I guess once that started to take hold around the, the time of Remembrance of the Daleks most of the stories were a blast um, I would say that the McCoy Aldrich camaraderie was infectious for me there was a, a certain timing in their performances together that I hadn't seen since I guess uh, I'd have to go back to the Troughton and Hines time they just clicked, and um, you know what, if I may talk of my beloved Sophie for a moment, and to quote a great man, I have to say, ah, bless. Um, I've mentioned in the past that Sophie was one of my first major crushes, and but more importantly, I I believe both her performance and her character is probably one of the strongest in the history of Doctor Who, and I know I probably will come up with had a few adversaries to that point, but I think it was very apt for Dave to bring up the comparison with Rose. Uh, I know all of my nieces really look up to Rose, and um, you know, I don't, I don't think I would have admitted this at the time, especially since I was probably 12 or 13, but I really looked up to Ace. Um, by the end of the series, I, her character was becoming as much of a hero to me as the Doctor. God's sakes, I started wearing jackets with patches and pins because of her. Uh, I don't know, I, her playful chemistry with McCoy was just brilliant. I, I don't think she's given nearly enough credit for this, the mm-hmm. successfulness of those final stories. Um, but um, I think that's it. That's, that's all I've had to say. Um, remember from the Daleks, um, Battlefield, uh, seek them out. Um, if I may bring up... Uh, Gosh, if I can remember, The the Harvest on uh, Big Finish. That's another one to watch, listen to, sorry. Um, but uh, other than that, I think I've had my say for today.
0: Yeah, I, I probably would venture to say that, you know, as we've seen with um, Sarah Jane Smith having her spin-off series, and I know there was rumors going around I don't know, about a year or so ago when um, with centering around Rose, and um, there was a rumor that she was going to have a spin-off thing that never about, whatever, but, you know what, I think um, Ace, you know, could pull off her own show as well, you know, she was that strong of a character that um, you know, you know, grouping with some other people, you know, she probably can carry her show herself.
5: Well, and she's also one of the few characters, one of the few companions where you honestly don't know what happened to her. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, we we, we still have the books um, that go one way, the audio stories that go another way, but to be honest uh whatever happened to ace that's you know that's a question that still hovers high uh you know what happens to her last story with the doctor I you know and uh does she actually die does she not die um I actually haven't read any of the books but um I know they run somewhat contrary to um the audio stories that I, I I'm really enjoying. I, I think that um, the Sophie and um, Doctor stories are are fabulous on Big Finish. So.
6: Yeah, and Jay, Jay if I can interrupt you a minute. I mean, we also with Soph uh, with Sophie and Ace, should I say, we get a little bit more of history of a, a companion, don't we? I mean, I know you said we don't know what happens to her. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. The, the connection with Perivale and uh, she goes back in survival and things like that. Very interesting. A, a very well rounded character, isn't she?
5: Oh absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um I I think I mean once again I would say she's almost a, a prototype for um for Rose in the new series. Uh, I, I one of the things I appreciate appreciated about the show is I had, as a kid I had stopped watching when Colin Baker was on and that's once again no reflection on Colin. I I just picked it back up, I guess, around Remembrance of the Daleks. And Her character is what brought me back to the show initially. I mean, I love Sylvester, and I I think they're wonderful on screen together. But um, once again, I just don't think Sophie Aldred gets enough credit. I I often hear negative things, and it it completely shocks me every time. I I would hands down put her as one of the top companions.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, Lewis, not to put you on the spot, but haven't uh, in a press podshot you got a an interview with uh, Sophie Olred?
0: Yeah, we we did. Um,
6: I, I don't know really you know which number.
0: Offhand, I don't know, but um, if I can find out.
6: Well, that's something that our listeners now, if the if the what Jay has said and 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 I and I. Agree with him quite well. I mean, that was one of the the, the highlights of this era. Was was the the, the relationship, but um, I think they might like to hear uh, that little interview that was on an earlier podcast. I mean, it's always nice going back to some of these earlier uh, pod shocks because um, you know some of them really do stand another listen down it's, the line.
0: Uh, yeah, it's epis it's pod shock episode sixty four where there's um uh, our con- regular contributor Jerry Reynolds um did an interview with Sophia and I mean, that was um recorded back in 1993 so it's um just a few years after you know the sh- the series came to a close if you will and uh, um it's interesting it's um you know it's it's not a long interview but it's um it's interesting nonetheless
5: Was it around the time of Dimensions and Time was that
0: the same year It was 1990- it was December mm-hmm. 1993 so yeah that would be um that would that would mark the um, what was it, the 30th, um, yeah, the 30th anniversary, wasn't it? Yeah.
5: Sorry to bring up Dimensions in Time. I know that's <laughs> a huge no-no.
0: Yeah, we try to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> but, Dementia um, in Time. <laughs> More like it. Yeah. But,
5: On another side note, um, I know Lewis and Ken um, is, and myself will all be at Gallifrey 2008. And um, it's it's a a heavy Seventh Doctor theme this year.
0: Well, Sylvester McCoy will be there.
5: And Sophie. Oh, and Sophie as well. That's um, excellent. And I think maybe even, what is it, Mark Plant might be there? I I certainly have nothing but questions for him. Andrew Cartmel as well.
0: Will definitely be um, a Seventh Doctor era um, convention, if you will. Alright, well, thanks, Jay. We're gonna um, next in queue, we have um, Shardy. Hello. Hello. Greetings.
7: Welcome to Doctor Who Parch. Yeah. Uh Hi everyone. I'm just basically gonna talk because I, being a child of 86, if you can hear me. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Can you hear me?
0: Yes. Hear yeah. As a child of
7: 86, I grew up on early Sylvester, so yeah. I've got very sort of vague memories of stuff like Silver Nemesis from when I was what about two. So I really just loved that period because that is sort of my doctor.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And when it came to the Paul McGann movie, seeing who I, a character I'd grown up with sort of shot rather brutally, that sort of left me rather shocked. But yeah, I was just writing, saying, I'll be quick, to, I liked it, it was good. And I think probably after re-watching all of Who through from Pertwee onwards, that the last Series of MacKay is probably one of my favorites of all time.
0: So, do you feel? Do you um, sometimes um, get upset, or uh, if people start criticizing that error, is, is that something that that um, you always, you know, you know, try to defend? And uh, did well, you I, mean, I don't know. Have, have you gone back? I, I mean, I'm assuming you have, um, you know, watched the previous Doctors and all that, but that his doctor is always going to have a special place in your heart because that's the doctor that you grew up on
7: yeah that is true but i mean there's the bit in i think it's pitch of fear by matt gates and david williams where they do they're talking about doctors and there's a sort of line that i will not repeat but it's about any old with an equity card oh yeah, I, yeah a okay.
0: bit, I know the line <laughs> a bit harsh
7: on later doctors. Yeah. I can sort of understand, having, I have loved this last sort of year or two, gone back and watched literally spearheading Space all the way through to all the episodes up to sort of, the TV movie. And I can see what they mean. The stories do sort of start lulling, I think, in quality a little bit in late Colin Baker through till McCoy. But I think that last series,
2: mm-hmm.
7: with, with survival at the end, is really, really good. Yeah, and don't
6: you think it was good that The Seventh Doctor, although you say, you know, he came back to the film and was shot, don't you think that that, that was really good of of Sylvester as an actor too? Because it gave that continuity for us, the fans, and um, it made the, the Paul McGann Doctor be, be the Doctor, even though you were perhaps sad to see him go. That continuity made the film work for many.
7: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Sylvester in the TV movie was good for his very small say. And in some ways, I think he was, I agree with a lot of you, that he was more Doctorish in his almost non-speaking part than he was in some of his earlier stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I, I think... I think it. I mean, that movie could have been done without him if, if necessary. But I'm just so glad that you know he did take the effort. He wanted to be a part of it. He came to. Um, um, I guess that was that. Those scenes were shot in uh, Canada, I believe. And um, you know, he made the effort, and he he was part of the you know part of canon there. That you know that's the, the seventh doctor regenerating into the eighth. Um, you know, um, I think he did an excellent job there. I just wish we had more stories leading up to that point, you know, that we could enjoy.
7: Um, just, I want any guy to correct me if I'm wrong, but did I hear in an interview once that the sort of first series of McCoy, they'd written The Doctor very much as he was on like Tiz and stuff, which is why he's a bit boom playing and a bit more nutty than he was later on.
4: Um,
6: I'm not too sure about that. I mean, I know, like with John Pertwee, um, when he uh, came to the Doctor, this sort of uh, he had this sort of rubber face that could do things. And they, when he was in the hospital, they played a little bit on his comedy element. And uh, and I suppose it's it's their way of easing the actor into the role. If they think that um, you know there's something he feels he can do or is confident with, um, they're perhaps hoping that that will ease them into the. In, into the character, simply because they, they can do something that they've um, got some confidence
7: with. Yeah, I guess that's true. But anyway, I'll see you guys because I've got a nip off right now.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your thoughts. Um, I know we mentioned um, a previous Shark episode that we interv- um, that we had an interview with um, Sophie Aldred. I also want to remind. Uh, our listeners if you go back to way back to Podshock episode 20 uh, you can hear an interview that um, that I conducted with Sylvester McCoy himself and that was in um, from 1999 if I remember correctly and that's uh, Podshock number 20 um, so check it out alright well we have um, we have one last person in the queue this is uh, Doctor Who 001 hello there Hello there. Welcome to Doctor Who Podshot.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here, finally. Um, Just wanted to give my opinion really on the McCoy era. Um, Although I have nothing against uh, Bonnie Langford, I felt that it didn't really get going uh, until Sophie came on board in Dragonfire. Uh, And I really feel that the combination of Sophie and Sylvester was really, really good. Um, I mean, it was kind of like the Doctor and Rose relationship in a way, but I think it's more of a father figure than a love interest. Um, Like I said, I think if uh, who had been allowed to carry on uh, into another couple of seasons, uh, it would have been good, because I did like the way that they were moving slowly darker, with the character of the Doctor and um, sort of trying to really give you some sort of an idea into what perhaps who the Doctor really is with the whole, um, you know, in Battlefield with he Merlin. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I say, it was um for me. The Remembrance of the Daleks um, story was um, slightly weird really with the the girl being the, um, was it Emperor Dalek? Or um, was that what Davros was pretending to be, was the Emperor? It was a a confusing one, that.
0: Yeah, the, the little girl with the jump rope and all. Yeah. I, I thought that was sort of echoed again when we saw Human Nature with David Tennant and with the, um seeing that. that.
6: Girl. girl with the balloon, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, very much so and also again um as well i suppose partly in the uh, daleks in manhattan and evolution of the daleks with um you know the human beings turned into um dalek sec. um just, you know, again using another human again
6: mm-hmm.
1: um but like i said i just wanted to give my my thoughts on the mccoy era and so that um I wish that it had been given longer because I think it was headed, headed in the right direction. We were getting towards the stage where the fandom was beginning to come back to Doctor Who, where perhaps some people had left uh, during the, the Baker era, although of course that wasn't uh, Baker's fault. Um, McCoy's done some excellent um, big finish audios, slowly working my way through those. I think the last one I listened to uh, was bang-a-bang-boom, I think it was, where it was supposed to be some sort of a, a song contest, which is quite a good one.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could speculate on, I mean, imagine what would have happened if, instead of letting the show just, you know, go into its long hiatus or cancellation or whatever you want to term it as, um, you know, if uh, JNT was able to leave the series and go off on his other projects, and a new producer came in and brought new life to the series with... Sylvester McCoy as the Seventh Doctor and, and Ace and see what direction, you know, it could have went. You know, you, again, this is only we can only speculate on what might have or could have been. It's such a shame that it just never happened.
1: Absolutely. Um, in, in a way, as well, with the TV movie, which I know we'll talk about next time with the McGann era, um, in a way, I wish McCoy had been able to do more of a part of that than just being there for the changeover, as it were, for the regeneration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed more suited to be able to play the doctor at that stage than perhaps he was when he first took it on
6: back in '87.
0: Yeah, I, I agree.
6: And that echoes what you said, Lewis. Sorry to interrupt. What you said, Lewis, that people thought that we'd now be having an older doctor coming you know, after Christopher Eccleston uh, and we've gone younger. Well, Sylvester McCoy, as, as, as uh, has just been said, may well have been better almost in his, you know, late fifties or sixties. He perhaps would have been able to approach the part with more inner confidence and um, and, and, and and got off to a, a quicker and more um, start because often as a, if the actual actor themselves exudes confidence. You you feel as though you can put your trust in him more, and I think uh, you know it's a little bit like if you if you've ever been to a school uh, play or whatever, and you uh, uh, and a friend of a daughter's doing a part, and you you think you're willing them to get through there a little bit and not make a mistake, and um, I think a little bit with the first uh, stories he was in, there was this feeling as though you know don't mess it up, don't mess it up, and uh, although it did take time as a lot of the commentators have chipped in today, the actual last four or five stories can stand pretty much against uh, most of the other seasons. And, you know, he was justified in being picked for the part. It's perhaps a pity he didn't come to it a little bit later in his career, maybe. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I quite quite agree
1: with that. Um, But like I say, um, for me, I mean, I was um, 11 years old when mccoy uh came into the part um absolutely loved sophie Aldred uh in the part of ace and um like like i said and like has just been said by um david uh perhaps if it had come to him later on in his career he would have lasted longer um and that's pretty much what i've got, I've got to say on that so thank you very much for having me on and i hope to be able to Join in next time when we talk about uh, the Paul McGann era.
0: Yeah, d- definitely come back. I, I do want to remind our listeners that in two weeks we're and our next live show, we're not going to be doing um, Paul McGann yet. We're going to be actually reviewing Voyage of the Dam. That will be on uh, December 30th um, of this year, 2007. And then after that, the following live show, two weeks after that, will be the Paul McGann show. But uh, definitely come back in two weeks when we uh, sink our teeth into the Titanic, and, um, <laughs> and um, we want to hear what you have to say about uh, the latest Doctor Who Christmas uh, spe- special, uh, Voyage of the Dam.
3: Yes, it's certainly, uh, there's a lot of material on the official Doctor Who site. Uh, there are some wallpapers and some trailers and some games and things, lots of build-up for Christmas Day for the Voyage of the Dam, so lots of, uh, lots of interactivity. I've already set the Voyage of the Damned wallpaper up on my uh, on my Mac. Very exciting stuff.
0: And we're good to go. Yeah. All yeah. right, well, I think that's going to wrap up today's... Um, thank you again, Doctor Who 00. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> what's your name and where are you calling from? Uh,
1: my name is Simon. I'm calling from um, a little-known place called Guernsey in the Channel Islands, which is technically... Uh, part of the UK but we're quite close to the coast of France
6: mm-hmm. wow. oh, but it's warmer than Manchester as well uh, it's absolutely freezing oh.
0: well I think um, yeah, a, a good show we got a fair <laughs> amount of uh, people chiming in from um, from that side of the pond so I, that's that's um, always a good thing
1: absolutely thank you again for having me
0: well, thanks again thank you alright well um, I think that's going to round up today's show on the 7th Octus, Sylvester McCoy, and as we spoke earlier, we will be, uh, we will have an opportunity to speak and interview with, with Sylvester McCoy um, at the Gallifrey Convention, Gallifrey 1, which is actually Gallifrey 19, if, I'm, if my numbers are correct. The so 19th uh, Symphony, is that,
3: is that yes. what
0: are doing? yeah, and that's in... Um, Los Angeles, um the LAX Airport, uh Marriott Hotel, I believe. I'm just doing this off memory. And um, Los Angeles
3: Marriott Los Angeles Marriott Airport or Airport Marriott and yeah, it's one of those things.
0: Yeah. Anyway,
3: you're in LAX and it's uh February fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth of two thousand eight. Sylvester McCoy, Sophie Eldred, Andrew Cartmel, I see Mark Ayers is there who we've interviewed on this show. Uh, Lewis mm-hmm. and I Paul will the be there, out. of course. Yes. It's always, always fun. Because we'll be pod shocking all weekend. That's and right. And so uh, this is the era that we'll be, that they're really uh, focusing on this year. It'll be the McCoy era. And, uh, I, I do hope that there'll, there'll be a few more guests joining us as well. It'll always be a, a blast.
0: Mm-hmm. As as always, you're advocating for more black and white guests.
3: I, you know, I have to pick. <laughs> we we really before, need to appreciate what we have, yeah. you know,
6: while we can. we so. uh, close, Lewis. Yeah. Can I just mention that uh, for people who still want to talk or are not talked out for tonight, uh, I think Wes has got the CIA uh, podcast uh, due to start um, on the hour in about uh, five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. If people want to take a short break yeah. and join us. Absolutely, and that right. is uh, talkcast ID 30659.
0: 30659. Yeah, I encourage all our listeners to, the, to uh, and, and everyone that's here right now on our live show to continue the, the dialogue. There, it's a um, West and, and Dave do a great job with Di- Diane, right? Diane, yeah,
6: mm-hmm. um, a I'm Denise Joy, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and um. i I, i'm enjoying it every week and i wish i could be a part of it every week all right well we're going to round out today's show thanks again for everyone that participated and just a reminder once again in two weeks our next live show will be the voyage of the damn show so please be sure to join us then uh we will continue pumping out uh dr Poshock episodes both studio and live shows and uh for those, um, just, um, as a program note, uh, obviously in the UK, you probably know that Voyage of the Dam is, um, coming out on Christmas Day. What, Dave, is that 10 o'clock, 10 p.m., um, your time on Christmas Day?
6: Voyage of the Dam? Yeah. It's at, uh, at t- uh, 10 to 7 in the evening.
0: Oh, 10 to 7. Okay. I, I probably heard 10 yeah. to 7. Yeah, and it's and- a long one.
6: It's, uh, 71 minutes, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there was another historic moment, by the way, as well, the, uh, the first um, one and a half minute teaser that was shown uh, on Saturday was the first teaser that was actually scheduled in the. It was actually advertised as uh, as a teaser in the, in, the, in the papers. You know, it didn't wow. just they didn't just throw it up between things. It was actually an advertised program, a one and a half minute trailer.
3: That's amazing. This was akin to uh, when you see. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek or Indiana Jones movie trailers being announced. Oh, if you go to see this movie, there'll be a trailer for this movie, and people actually mm-hmm. show up and Lewis and I uh, are witnesses, too, having to sit through the water boy with Adam Sandler <laughs> just to see the Phantom Menace trailer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 90 minutes of my life, I won't get back.
0: Yeah. The next time that happens, we just have to arrive at the theater and just be very extremely late. Ooh, we missed the first hour and a half.
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: All right. But well, this,
3: but this is really a, this is a, a, a tribute and a testament to science fiction and to fandom that they take the time. You notice they didn't take the time out to to say that the uh, EastEnders trailer is coming on, or the you know pick your pick your poison as far as shows go, even popular shows. You know, you wouldn't hear about. Yes, well, they're going to show a teaser to the new movie for Friends. No, doesn't happen. <laughs> only, only in sci-fi.
6: Yeah, the day of the tripods is nearly here. That's what we want next.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I know to... that Di- Disney has the options on that movie, and um, it was in pre-production, but
0: hmm.
3: no news as yet.
0: All right, well, once again, thanks, everyone, for being part of the show. I'm back next time. Here's everyone.
3: See everybody in two weeks for Voyage of the Dance.
0: Bye. Here's. Listening to Doctor Who Parchock by the fan run and Embassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Parchock. You can email us at feedback at Pachock.net. <laughs>